Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, April 30th. Action now officially underway on both the ATP and WTA tours this week as the 1000 event in Madrid got started for the women. On the men's side, we saw the back half of the round of 16 in both our two ATP 250 events in Estoril in Munich, as well as our three ATP Challenger events happening this week. Want to talk about all of the action we saw happening across the globe. I'll start, of course, with that action in Madrid. Jill Teichman reminding all of us tennis fans that it ain't over till it's over. She comes back from six match points down to knock off Alina Svitolina. We saw a bunch of other fun first round matches on the day. Want to recap them. I'll then work my way to the 250s and those ATP challengers. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at MidwestSports.com. Now, I know you listeners are probably sick of hearing me say that day in, day out. Excuse me, but sincerely, we wouldn't do this if we didn't have all of you listeners tuning in every day, if we didn't have a Patreon family behind us supporting our wackiest ideas, allowing uh, us to experiment and provide all of you listeners with the sort of coverage we believe you deserve. So sincerely, on behalf of all of us here at Crack Rackets, thank you for your continued support. Another way you can show us your support beyond just continuing to listen to the podcast following all of our content at CrackRackets.com is, of course, by supporting our friends at Midwest Sports. If you need to update your equipment and a little story for all of you listeners, I joined a league. I'm getting back in the game, folks. Shout out to Cracked Rackets CEO Dalton Thieneman dragging me out of retirement, getting me signed up for a tennis league happening this summer in Indianapolis. I am thrilled to make my return to the court, and as a matter of fact, I needed to get a pair of new shoes. People who know me well know a staple of Alex Gruskin is he's going to show up to to the courts with at least one hole in his shoes, but no, not this time. New season, new me, and with that in mind, I turn to my friends at Midwest Sports to update my shoes. Now, I'm a Nike guy, but maybe you want a different brand. Maybe you're looking for Wilson had Babolat shoes because that's the racket you play with and you like to look fresh from top to bottom. I can totally rock with that. Or maybe you're an Adidas person. Maybe whatever it may be, I promise you can find it with our friends at MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's talk some tennis and what a fantastic day of tennis it was in Madrid. And I mentioned that on yesterday's mini break. When you have first round matchups across the board featuring Ashley Barty versus Shelby Rogers, and you know, you have defending French Open champion Iga Sviantek making her clay court debut here in 2021. You have Kvitova in action. Putin save Akanta was a fun match that was almost on the back burners because of how many exciting matches we ended up having. Thankfully, you know, again, with all of that hype, the the play in Madrid delivered the goods, and the match I have to start with is the one I teased at the top. Jill Teichman comes back from six match points down to knock off number four seeded Alina Svitolina, 2 6, 6 4, 7 6. Folks, this match featured the quality of tennis reflected in a scoreline like 2-6-6-4-7-6. I have to say, yes, Alina Svitolina ended up blowing, I think it was a 5-1 lead, maybe it was 5-2 in that third set. She blew the six match points, but she didn't blow them. Jill Teichman earned those six match points, and again, I want to run through them here for you listeners to kind of explain what I mean 
There were two missed backhand returns from Alina Svitolina that there is no doubt she would want back. And if you want to say she handed those two points to Teichman, I can understand that. That's completely fair. But on the other four points, it was indicative of the dynamic of this match. Now, Svitolina played some fantastic defense from start to finish. And in particular, her backhands out of the corner in this match. And Jill Teichman, for those of you listeners who perhaps have not seen the 23-year-old, she might be 24 now, I think 23-year-old, though, Swiss play. Uh, she's a lefty, heavy topspin forehand. She's got a big backswing, a, a, you know, a, a severe Western grip, which means she has a very closed face when she's swinging through that forehand. And as such, she's able to generate heavy topspin on her ground stroke. And that ball rips through these clay courts. It explodes and jumps into the air. Uh, and she can go short angle, and she can go deep with angle, and she can go down the line. And she does a great job of both driving through her backhand, but also when she'd like to, ripping that backhand with angle cross-court, and she's just got a very effective clay court game, Jill Teichman. You look uh, for her in her career thus far, Teichman uh, is, I believe, 29-19 and 19, uh, in tour-level matches on clay. That's compared to a 43-46 and 46 record for her on hard courts. You look in her career, she's got two WTA titles. Both of them came on clay in 2019. It was a title for her in August in Prague, a title, or in April, excuse me, in Prague, a title for her in July in Palermo. And you can understand why her game would uh, be best suited for clay courts because she does have big backswings on both the forehand and her backhand wing. Her ability to drive that ball cross the court and generate short angle is a testament to the fact that she goes, you know, on, she gets severely under the ball and she does bring that racket back past her hip. And again, on these clay courts, you have that extra half second, extra second within these rallies to take a slightly bigger backswing. She's also so fluid on these courts, slides into her shots, and she's comfortable moving forward. She's comfortable at the net. But again, to get back to the dynamic in this match, Jill Teichman can do a little bit of everything, but Svitolina was so good at counter-punching through. The first, I would say, set in two games. She went up a set in two-love uh, break lead in the second set, and again, her backhands out of the corner were sensational. She was absorbing the heavy topspin of the Teichman backhand, redirecting it, and then some going, you know, comfortable going her backhand cross-court against the Teichman forehand cross-court and then eventually when she could get a ball deep into Teichman's body because it is a clay court but still with enough depth enough pace you can still jam a player's body obviously these players are the best players in the world and Svitolina was doing that to Teichman and you know then Teichman would leave a ball slightly shorter and credit to Svitolina she'd jump on that ball backhand down the line inside in forehand whatever it may be mixing in drop shots she played a really smart smart match, but Teichman was the aggressor throughout this one. It was Teichman providing the initial pace, the initial pop within rallies, and eventually that wore Svitolina down. And I mentioned uh, Teichman comfortable moving forward, comfortable at the net. She's had double success already in her pro career as well. You can understand why, because she's got great feel around the court. She is comfortable hitting the drop volleys, hitting you know the deep uh, drive volleys when she's moving forward, comfortable swinging through that overhead as well. And you look in this match for Jill Teichman, I think the service stat's pretty indicative of her ability to dictate. She made 64% of her first serves, won 62% of those points, saved 12 of the 18 break points she faced. Meanwhile, for Svitolina, uh, you know, she made 65% of her first serves, but she only won 61% of her first serve points. I think Teichman had a little bit more pop. You look, Svitolina was slightly better on the second serve, but, you know, neither of them with stats to write home about. Svitolina, 15 of 35, Teichman, 18 of 45 on second serve points. This was very much in either or match. And you look total points one, Teichman 112, Svitolina 111. The fact that Teichman was the aggressor, the fact that the match was on her terms is ultimately what won her the tiebreaker 7-5 in the third and won her this match. And, you know, again, 
Do I worry about Alina Svitolina coming out of this one? Absolutely not, because you look for Svitolina, and we talked about her a bunch last week with her result in Stuttgart. She's coming off of a semifinal there. She's 27-11 and 11 in her last 52 weeks. That includes runs to the quarterfinals of Roland Garros last year. She won a title in Strasbourg in the warm-up to the French Open. Again, strong start in Stuttgart. Today's result had more to do with Jill Teichman than it did with Alina Svitolina, who again, had six match points, had six opportunities to be one point away from the finish line. And, you know, to get back to those match points, why they're indicative of Teichman. Wow, I'm really going full circle here, folks. Why they're, and sometimes I forget those points and I leave them in the rear view mirror, but I, I remembered today, folks. Anyways, why those six match points indicative of the dynamic in this match? Yes, Svitolina had two backhand returns that she would like back, but when you're on your back foot, you know, those things can make the difference because the other match points fought off. There's a long rally, uh, Teichman gets, you know, they're going uh, Teichman forehand to the Svitolina backhand. Teichman finally, or Svitolina goes down the line with her backhand after getting stretched. Teichman takes her backhand cross court. Svitolina has an on-the-run forehand and very easily could have landed that on-the-run forehand down the line as she attempted and won the match on that shot, but she missed it a little bit long. And again, that's a good miss. There's nothing wrong with that miss for Sinalina, particularly given how big her lead was in the third set on the scoreboard. You play to win, and that was a shot she played to win, but she missed it. And again, that's because Teichman had opened up the court, put her in a defensive on-the-run position. The other shots... Big plus one ball from Teichman that led to a, I think, misfilling a pass in the net, but it was a forced error. Teichman also, they play a long rally. She opens up Svinalina to the forehand side, drives an approach shot to that side. Svinalina makes her uh, shot, but it's a slice uh, forehand return. Teichman hits this beautiful cross-court drop shot, wins the point. Nothing Svinalina can do there. The other one was just a plus one, uh, or I believe a, a point that ended, I think, on a Teichman overhead or a Teichman volley winner. The point being, she was the aggressor once Again, she was the aggressor throughout this match. And you look for Jill Teichman now over her last 52 weeks. And I mentioned the fact she's got the two WTA clay court titles already. She's 21 and 14, had a ton of success uh, during the Australia stretch. Now she lost her first round matches uh, in the warm-up and Australian Open to Coco Golf. But after that second week tournament in Australia, she makes quarterfinals, loses in three to Buzkova. She follows that up semifinals the next week before knocked out by Sviantec. She follows that up semifinals in Dubai, beat Coco Golf, beat Onjabur, beat uh, next week's champion in Petra Kvitova before losing uh, to Krechikova. Now, you know, she lost a match to Miami where she had to retire at, in the first set down 5-6, but kicks off her clay court season in a fantastic fashion, 7-6 in the third over Svitolina, and again, I mentioned it, Teichman, 29-19 and 19 in her career in WTA-level clay court matches. You look for her uh, here in 2021 in total. She's 11-6 and six now to start her season via ELO rating. She's currently, I believe, Teichman, the number 41 overall player. She's number 36 via clay court ELO rating, but she is the number, I want to say, let's see, Jill Teichman uh, here, number 20 player overall in 2021 ELO rating. You compare that to her rankings right now. Jill Teichman currently uh, number 53 in the WTA live rankings in terms of the WTA race to Shenzhen. She's number 23. Which of those numbers is most accurate? I would say probably number 36 on clay and number 36 overall. She's a top 40 player, and I think her upside is a little bit higher than that because, again, she has weapons. And I I said her backswing's big. It's not exaggerated. It's not overwhelmingly big. It's not a hitch, right? And so it's not Tiafo-esque on that forehand wing where she's just going to get attacked, attacked, attacked by, you know, overwhelming serves. It's also, in women's tennis, there's not as many players with overwhelming serves to attack a big, uh, you know, forehand backswing as there are in men's tennis. And so, you know, again, I don't think Teichman's backswing is that uh, is that much of a liability. And I do think she has weapons, and I do think she moves the ball well, and I do think she's such a fluid athlete that she's just going to be really good for a really long time. And I know I say that about a lot of women right now. And again, I, I short I don't want to repeat myself anymore on Jill Teichman, but I do think she's closer to that number twenty three ranking in the or twenty three in the race to Shenzhen than she is at that number fifty three in the live rankings. And I know twenty twenty one. 2021 ELO is focused on like 20 matches in total right now, but 
She's going to sniff the top 20 this year. It's just a matter of how many matches does she play because I do think her skill set can give a lot of opponents problems. They certainly gave Svitolina problems today. Svitolina played a great match, but in the end, Teichman just a little bit better. 2-6-6-4-7-6. She advances to the round of 32. That was... Honestly, I believe your only three-set match of the day. In fact, it was your only three-setter, but we did still have a couple of, uh, certainly some high level of play across the board. Angelique Kerber is starting to heat up, folks. 7-6-6-1 win today over 2019 French Open finalist Marketa Van Drusova, and that first set was a high level of tennis. Van Drusova, so she might be the best mover on clay non-Halop division uh, in the in the women's game. And honestly, she might even give Halop a run for her money nowadays as well because that's how fluid Vondrusova is around the court. And you think you hit a ball by her, but nope, she's going to slide to that ball, get it back elevated with enough topspin to make you uncomfortable and just... You know, again, credit to Angelique Kerber, who was taken forehand after forehand on the rise, moving the ball so well around the court today. And she went down an early break to love in this match, and it looked like Von Drusova was just going to steamroll because Von Drusova kept tracking everything down. And then, you know, when Angelique Kerber would get stretched to the outer third and leave a ball in the center, that's when Von Drusova pounces, and she either throws in her backhand drop shot, which I sincerely believe is the best drop shot in women's tennis on clay, or she hits the big, you know, she's got big loopy strokes as well, big back, uh, big ground strokes, big back swings. And, you know, on these clay courts, if you leave her a ball in the center of the court, she is going to whip that ball into the outer third with some, you know, heavy top spin. And that ball is going to jump up on you. In the first two games, the ball was just on Kerber before she knew what to do with it. But then she woke up and she immediately gets the break back, holds for two all. And then we had a barn burner on our hands in that first set. And you look overall, there were only one break of serve apiece. It was in the first four games. They traded breaks, both players finding success on serve. But it was uh, Angelique Kerber made 74% of her first serves, won 79% of those points, 22 of 28. She was a little bit more efficient in the tiebreaker. She takes it 7-5. And again, she was doing more of the dictating similar dynamic to our first match. You know, Vondrusova was everywhere. And she did, you know, especially on serve, did do a good job of mixing in the variety of really getting Kerber stretched to the outer thirds herself and just throwing a bunch of different looks at Kerber so that she couldn't get comfortable. But when points were at neutral, Kerber was winning the rallies because her forehand was the biggest weapon on the court. She would, again, move it side to side to side to side, inside out, cross court, inside out, cross court, and just she was excellent today. And if this is the Angelique Kerber we see, uh, I don't want her in my draw. I don't think anyone would. And, you know, right now in the rankings, Kerber a little bit lower than we're accustomed to seeing her, the 33-year-old at number 26 in the rankings. You look for her right now via Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings. Kerber, I'm going to imagine, is going to be even lower than that. Let's see. Angelique Kerber currently actually number 26 by ELO rating. I want to see where she is, though, right now in 2021 ELO rating. Yeah, number 74 because she really has not played that many matches of late. You look overall now with this win, she's 9-9 nine and nine in her last 52. Now, I would say, you know, the, the match she played, 0-0 win over Zara Zua, and then the 5-2 and two match she lost in the round of 32 to Vika Azarenka in Miami. That was a phenomenal level of tennis. That first set in particular, really, really fun. And I also thought the match in Stuttgart she played against Fidelina, which she lost 6-3. and three. That was a really high level. And sometimes you got to lose high-level matches before you can get back into the winner's circle, but Angelique Kerber is dangerous, folks. She's starting to play her best tennis. She looks healthy. Uh, Again, for her to make 73% of her first serves today, that's a huge number for her moving forward. And, you know, she just, she did a lot of dictating. Uh, She was beating Vondrusova to the spot. And, you know, now she places a completely different dynamic in Petra Kvitova, which is going to be her next match. And, you know, Petra's got the weapons to get Kerber stretched in ways Vondrusova really can't. And it's going to be interesting to see how she responds to that test, but Kerber's heating up, folks, and, you know, you look for her in her career. Obviously, the, the big success is on grass, on hard courts, but she's still a tidy 82-59, and 59, 58% win percentage in her career on clay. She's made quarterfinals, round of 16s multiple times in her career, so just keep your eye on Kerber. She plays uh, one of our best matches of the day in Madrid, and then Paula Bedosa-Jaber, who, in my opinion, 
properly rated as the number 16 player in tennis abstracts clay court specific elo ratings which again measure who you're playing not when or where she gets a victory today uh six i believe it was six one seven five over barbara krechikova uh and to be honest Krechikova just couldn't hurt but those should bear and you know again her ability to move the ball around the court i, I kind of mentioned this earlier it's it's mugaruza ish it's uh, she's just she, she's really really solid. She doesn't have uh you know a vulnerability in her ability to hit that big serve down the tee on the ad side, go wide on the deuce, and then you know hit the kicks as well. Her backhand wing in particular, her ability to drive through that shot, it it, it is Muguruza esque. And you know today against Krejcikova, she just did the majority of the dictating. She made sixty nine percent of her first serves, won eighty four percent of those points, thirty one of thirty seven. She goes thirty nine of fifty four overall on service points fights off three of the four break points she faced. She holds Krechikova to just 29 of 57 on her service points. That's what, a 51% mark, I mean. But Dosa Shaber was in every Krechikova service game, and she was doing the dictating. And I am concerned for Krechikova here on clay because the amount of high topspin loopy balls she was just kind of, she had to hit to stay alive in points allowed Bedosa Jaber to do a ton of dictating but just some numbers on her because I know I talked about her uh, a few weeks ago when she made the semifinals of Charleston beat Benchich beat Ashley Barty before getting knocked out by Kudermatova you look for her number 62 right now in the WTA rankings via tennis abstract Bedosa a little bit better than that she's or no she's yeah number 61 right now in ELO rating as well you look though clay court ELO rating she's number 16 you look for Bedosa in 2021 ELO rating she's number 33 I think number 33 is very much the most accurate of those numbers. And she, of course, missed the Australian Open because she tested positive for COVID. Uh, But she is thankfully back healthy now. And, you know, again, only 23 years old, one of the millions of young, talented players who are going to be sticking around in this women's game for a long time. And just athletically and from a skill set standpoint, she checks off every box. And again, does she overwhelm you with anything she does? No. But it's like, again, no, not not really. But she can do a little bit of everything and it, it it's not it's never an easy out against her there's no one thing to target to be like oh this is how you break down the game of Bedosa Jaber no you just have to wear her down you have to have some weapons to hurt her with uh Krechikova didn't on this day and again Bedosa 6-5 game she's serving for the set love 40 down ace down the tee a couple of big backhand down the line winner to get it to 30 40 and then a couple of big serves you know to set up uh some forced errors she ends up serving it out Gets the win in straight sets, which, as we know, uh, as Teichman proved, is a lot more difficult to do than it sounds. She advances to the round of 32. Now, again, there was only the one three-set match of the day just to run through the rest of the results. Bernarda Pera, I said it yesterday, she had Petra Martic on upset alert. Martic has struggled of late. The lefty got a big win in qualifying. She gets another big win here in the round of 64, 6-3, 6-2 over Petra Martic. They're now 2-2 two and two overall in their career head-to-head. Para two and one now on clay as well. I, I say it all the time here on the mini break, right? Just keep an eye on Bernard Para. She, I think, like twelve of her last sixteen losses or whatever have come in three sets and she plays so many close matches and you could just see it on her face when she won that final qualifying round how much that win meant to her to not have blown the lead after winning the first set having lead in the second but I'm just saying you know a Martic is struggling but b just keep an eye on para folks that's all I'm here to say Belinda Bencic finds her form 6-4-6-2 over Kiki Medenovic your other winners on the day again to kind of run through Sevastova Sigamund Zidanzi uh, Kuder Matova, Jabour, uh, all what uh, Kiki Burton's all winners in straight sets. Petra Kvitova gets a win in straight sets on Jabour, uh, who I just mentioned. Excuse me, Joe Contas, who I meant to say, who number fifteen seed a four and two win over Putin. Seva Ashley Barty. Awfully impressive today. I mean, what do you do? She makes so many returns. She takes away everything you want to do, and then she has her own plus one weapon herself. Six two six one win. Her fourth win on the season against Shelby Rogers, who would probably be like, "Please, I, I, I don't care. I'll play anyone else. Just don't give me Ashley Barty. You don't have to seed me at any event. Just please, no more first round matches against Ashley Barty. Other two, just quickly. Sloane Stevens looked really good, and unfortunately, Garbine Muguruza had to pull out of 
this event. She's replaced by lucky loser Dunka Kavinich, who went back-to-back semifinals, I believe, if not better, in Charleston. But Stevens worked her today, 6-4-6-1, and this is the best I've seen Sloane Stevens look in quite a bit of time. She's now won uh, you know, matches at a couple of events in a row today against Kavinich. She just... There were no, you know, the unforced sloppy errors. There was none of that. She was locked in every point. Now, Kvinich hit some big forehands that, you know, certainly gave Stevens trouble that got Stevens stretched, but Stevens was patient. When the opportunity presented itself, she snapped her forehand through the court, and that forehand can still rip through these clay courts. She was really good. And a 4 1 win over Kvinich is very, very impressive right now. And then, performance of the day. Uh, you know, just from a level standpoint, Teichman's your match of the day, but Iga Sviantek, oh man, if you forgot why she ripped through that clay court, go watch the highlights of her 6-1-6-1 victory over Ali Risk. She was sensational today, uh, and again, you look overall here, should be a very, very exciting day of tennis uh, across, uh, or excuse me, it should be, it was a very, very exciting day of tennis across the day in Madrid, but it also should continue to provide exciting results tomorrow as you look across the board. I mean, let me just read these matchups for all of you listeners. Coco Goff going to take on Carolina Pliskova. Pliskova's lost like 17 matches in a row to Jessica Pagula, who Goff practiced with on Monday. And you know there was some spice exchange at the session there, but Pliskova's playing really well of late. She looked good in Stuttgart, and she's got the weapons to take it to Goff. Goff going to be also be able to get Pliskova to the outer thirds, but sometimes Goff gets defensive, and so, you know, she's not going to be able to afford to. She has to be on her front foot, has to keep Pliskova moving, uh, but just be on the lookout for Carolina Pliskova, folks. I mentioned this last week in Stuttgart. I'll mention it again. Sneakily, she is, I believe, the seventh rated player right now in Tennis Abstract's ELO rating, number 12 overall, but seven on clay. Uh, again, the slowing of the surface. She's as comfortable, I suppose, moving on clay as she is on hard courts or grass. And, you know, if you give her time, she's going to hit through you. And so that is a, certainly a fun matchup. Amanda Nisimova, former French Open semifinalist, taking on Maria Sakari. Uh, Nisimova, power, power, power. Sakari, speed, athleticism. That is a fantastic contrast of styles. You've also got Ekaterina Alexandrova, who was Awesome in Stuttgart, taking on Vika Azarenka. A lot of power on the court there. Maybe your brand of tennis is in power, though. You want some counterpunching? Well, I promise you, you're going to get at least 30%. Of the match being 20 ball rallies between Simona Halep and Sarah Cerebes Tormo. Now, I think Halep's going to end up uh, moving through in straight sets because if you don't have a weapon to hurt Simona Halep on clay, you're just not beating her. You know, Cerebes Tormo, super disciplined. That match is going to get physical, but give me Halep in that one. Uh, but, you know, those are probably the four headlines of the headlines Golf Pliskova, Nisimova, Sakari, uh, Alexandrova, Azarenka, and Halep, Cerebes Tormo. But, you know, you can move down the board and they're still fantastic. Tennis, Sabalenka versus Vonareva. That's power tennis at its finest. Just Pagula, how's she going to compete on clay after one of the being one of the breakthrough performance, uh, performers through the first third of the season? She takes on last week's winner in Istanbul, Serana Kirstea. You've also got Naomi Osaka, who we haven't seen play a clay court match in over a year and a half taking on Misaki Doi, Venus Williams, taking on Jen Brady. I think Brady probably runs through that one, but certainly it's always a pleasure to watch Venus on the court. Pavlochenkova going to take on Madison Keys, Polona Herzog taking on Yelena Estepanko, and then my sneaky favorite match of the day in Madrid, Alia Tamjanovic taking on Elena Rabakina, but again, Thursday delivered the goods. You look at Friday's schedule from a surface level, certainly seems like things are going to get excited. Uh, It certainly seems like things are going to get exciting. Excuse me. I am so excited that I can't even speak and say exciting in Madrid. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
Let's flip gears now and talk about the action we saw on the ATP Tour. Again, second half of the round of 16 in all of our events at both the 250 and Challenger level. Let's start in Estoril, Battle of the Drip Drip, Quarantine Mute knocking off fellow rapper according to our tennis TV commentators. It's actually true. Like, they got some criticism for saying that. I had no problem with it. Statement of fact. Fellow rapper and number one seed here this week, Denis Shapovalov, 6-4-2-6-6-4. I mean, Mute is just so comfortable on the dirt, sliding into his shot, moving the ball around the court, hitting behind you when the moment calls for it, throwing slices to disrupt the rhythm of Denis Shapovalov throughout this match, and just, again making Chapo uncomfortable. And look, Chapo had the distinct power advantage. Chapo was the one doing the majority of dictating A in his service games and B throughout the course of this match. You look at the stats, Chapo four of eight on, uh, excuse me, uh, save four of the break eight points he faced. Uh, he created 13 break chances for himself. Mute able to save nine of them. You look total points overall. You know, it was 86 for Mute, 84 for Shapovalov. When Shapovalov landed his first serve, he won 64% of the points, uh, 56% of his second serve points for Mute. It was 66-50 splits. But it did feel like Chapo was the one who had Mute on his back foot when Chapo was, you know, connecting with his forehand, swinging through that backhand. He was the one driving through the court. Uh, but Mute just kept surviving. Mute kept making that extra ball. And then, again, when Dennis would either throw in a backhand slice or just get a little bit tentative, uh, that's when Mute would pounce. And, you know, Mute, by throwing in as much backhand slice as he does, keeps the ball out of the Shapovalov strike zone. And, you know, that forces Dennis to, you know, stand up a little bit in his stroke and leave that ball a little bit shorter in the court, and that's when Mute would pounce, and he's so comfortable moving forward as well and being at the net, and whenever he had the opportunity, he got to that net, got Shapovalov on his back foot. Now, again, Dennis had a million break points, particularly in that first set, and it felt like this was a match. Had he won that first set, he would have won this match in straights, and just, you know, you could see with the fire he came out with, got the early break in the second set, and was just like, no, 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 you're not beating me in straights, I'm locked in, I'm disciplined, I'm I'm done with your garbage, I'm hitting through you this set, but Mute kept scrapping and clawing, and again, you look for him now over his past 52 weeks for quarantine Mute, 15 and 10 overall, that includes runs to uh, both in the Murray Open, uh, that warm-up event to the Australian Open, he made the semi-final there, you look for him last week in Barcelona, got wins over Kopfer and Evans before being knocked out by Schwartzman. Now, last year, you know, in the two, uh, three clay court events, excuse me, that he played, he uh, got, made it to the final round of qualifying in Rome before getting knocked out by Davidovich Fokina, lost that 18 in the 16 in the fifth set uh, match to Lorenzo Giustino, first round of Roland Garros, and then, you know, beats Tiafo before losing to Ramos Vinolas in Sardinia, but... He's a guy you got to circle as a guy second, third round of the French Open, very much in the cards because you look for him. He's 74 and 61 in his career, 55% win percentage on hard courts, 112 and 62. 64% win percentage on clay. His break percentage jumps from 26.6% on hard courts to 34.7% on clay. Again, for frame of reference amongst top 50 players, that goes from being about a number 25, number 20, top 20 guy, which would still be really, really good, to being better than prime Rafa and prime Djokovic, who are in that 34% range as well. That number, I believe, would be second right now on, uh, on the season to Diego Schwartzman. Yeah. Uh, when you give him time, he can run around, hit that forehand as a return, and just dictate from there. And if you don't have the big serve to overwhelm him with, as it's a little bit harder to do on clay, then he gets to impose his variety, his athleticism. You're playing on his terms. Again, if if tennis was ground stroke games and not played with serves, he's a guy who's probably... Uh, I don't know. I, I need to watch more of I was going to say top 50 in the world, but you look at his rankings right now. He's number 73 overall. That's not exactly hyper, hyperbole to say that. But 
For Mute, now 22 years old, big win for him into the quarterfinals here at Estoril. You look for him in his career in ATP-level events. Really does not have that many quarterfinals yet to his name. In fact, overall, this is only the fifth of his career. The good news for him, it's his fourth since the start of the top uh, of the 2020 season. Things pointing up for Quarantine Mute now. The flip side for Shapo. I try not to read too much. You know, I try to focus on what the player who won did right as opposed to what the player who lost did wrong. But for Denis Shapovalov, who had a five-match losing streak from the end of 2020 to the start of 2021, and since making the semifinals of the Rome Masters last year, I believe has played 500 ball. I think he's something like 12-12 and since that point. He's just struggling to find his rhythm. And the thing is, you know, he is a bit one-dimensional when things are clicking. You know, it's his power tennis. He hits through people. But he does have the athleticism and, honestly, the skill set to have a plan B, to have a plan C when things go wrong. The problem is he gets very frustrated with himself. There's no denying it. Anyone who watches a match can tell. And, you know, again, he's still, what, I think he's 21 years old. No, just turned 22 years old and still has so much, so much time in his career to reach that ceiling that I think we all realize as tennis fans is immensely high because he does have that sort of athletic combination of speed and power that's just very, very rare amongst players. And I say it, uh, I've said it on the podcast, he's in that in-between tier for me. There's the top six, you know, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, Sinner, FAA, who I, if they leave their careers without at least one Grand Slam title, I will legitimately be shocked. And then there's that next half tier. Guys like Shapovalov and Sebastian Korda that I'm just not quite sure what to do with yet because from a talent perspective, they've clearly got it. And Korda is just a lack of sample size. Shapovalov, it's just still figuring everything out. I mean, you look for him today and in his last two losses on clay, uh, you know, a 60% first serve percentage, 595 to be exact, a 48% first serve percentage against Felix Oshir Aliassim. He's over 10% double fault percentage in both of those matches in here on the day, eight double fault for him in this match. I mean, he clearly was struggling with the sun, which is just like a little thing, and that happens because he whiffed an overhead as well, and clearly anything over the head today was a bit of a struggle, but... I mean, that's just not good enough, and it's it's the little things for him, and it's just we see these sorts of matches still in his career, and you would have thought, hopefully by now, the best version of him would have moved past this, but again, he's only 22 years old, so like, let's not overreact. All of the talent is still there, and Mute is a tricky opponent, but, you know, you think he wins this match given the power advantage still, quarantine Mute able to advance in three sets. Uh, tough for Shabavala, but certainly he's still got time to bounce back here before we get to Roland Garros. Uh, of course, unfortunately, we did have a, a withdrawal uh, in uh, Estoril yesterday. Richard Gasquet unable to play his match against number two seed Christian Guerin. So Guerin advanced. You also had a straight set win from Robert Ramos, uh, Robert Albert Ramos Vinolas, excuse me, six two seven six. I'm just going to start calling him Robert now. That's going to be a joke. If you listen to this point of the podcast, if he wins his match tomorrow, and I believe he's got a Corbett quarterfinal match against Quarantine Mute. I just hope if someone listens to this, please tweet at me, great win by Robert today, and I will sincerely appreciate that. That will make my Friday if one of you just tweets, hey, great win by Robert, or even if he loses, if you go, oh, tough one from Bob, I will certainly get a laugh out of that. <laughs> I'm getting a laugh out of it now, and it's just me here on the pod. Anyways, Robert ends up getting the win over Who's Air Bear, 6276, good win from Bob. Uh, Cam Nori. Your match of the day in Estoril, 4-6-7-6-7-5 win over Pedro Martinez-Portero in a match that was as high level as the scoreline reflects. And you look for Nori in this match, 54 of 68 on first serve points, 79% win percentage. He's not a guy you think of who has that overwhelming first serve, right? Who's hitting 125, 130 on every serve, but he just places it so well. And on clay, when you can place that first serve well, you just have so much more court to work with. And you're playing on your terms. You're playing on your front foot. You're the one dictating direction. You're not getting caught flat-footed or you're hitting the ball behind you. And it's just that much harder to change direction on clay. And you look for Nori, save seven of the nine break points he faced, uh, you know, 
had a million match points up 5-4 in the third set. Martinez ends up holding, but Nori gets the break right back on a Martinez-Portero double fault 4-7-5 in the third. And just, again, Pedro Martinez had the power advantage in this match. His forehand was probably the biggest stroke on the court, but Nori just, he stays alive. And he's getting more and more comfortable as a mover on the surface. You look for him now 26-16 and 16 in his last 52 weeks, but in particular, you know, last week it was quarterfinals in Barcelona. Really nice wins over Hachinov and Goffin. Now he gets wins over Sosa and here Pedro Martinez-Portero, who, you know, may be ranked outside the top 75, but is a top 50 player according to Tennis Abstract's Clay Court ELO ratings. It's a really nice win for Nori, and it's been a really nice stretch for him, clearly playing the best tennis of his career. You look now in the live rankings, Nori, up to number 50. That's nine off of his career high of 41, but for the 25-year-old, you know, one more win will get him up to number 48. And again, uh, he's trending in all all positive directions. Where's Cam Norrie right now? Let's see in overall ELO rating. He's number 48 in overall ELO rating. Clay Court, he is not going to be in the top 50. Yeah, no, he is far down the Clay Court ELO ratings, but you look for him here in 2021 specifically. Cam Norrie, the 19th player according, number 19 in 2021 ELO rating, 15 and 8 overall. Now 16 and 8 overall with his victories. I suppose 17 and 8 with his two victories here this week. Uh, yeah, when you're winning two thirds of your matches. I suppose that means you're more likely than not a top 30 player. Number 19 might be a bit hyperbolic, but if I told you Cam Norrie was seated at the U.S. Open this year, I think that's something we'd all believe considering the start to his season. He goes, you know, semifinals Delray Beach, third round Australian Open, qualifies in Rotterdam, makes round of 16, quarterfinals Acapulco, round of 32 Miami, quarterfinals Barcelona. That's a really nice stretch for the former TCU All-American, former number one singles player in the nation in college tennis. He advances again, three sets over Martinez Portero, who I've said before, and I will say again, second round, third round French Open. That's my expectation for him, depending on how the draw breaks out. But those were your three, I suppose, four round of 16 results in Estoril yesterday. You look here for the matches scheduled on Friday. Bunch of fun ones up and down the board. Nori taking on Christian Guerin, Marin Chilich taking on Kevin Anderson in a match we'd all prefer to see back in 2017, but of course still should be a fun one. I mentioned it. Mute taking on Big Shot Bob, Albert Ramos, Vanolas, and then Ugo Umber taking on Alejandro de Vidrichokina. That match going to be our Patreon match of the day. So if you want to hear an extensive breakdown of those two, Go become a Crack Rackets Patreon subscriber today. But again, that's your action in Estoril in Munich yesterday. Fairly straightforward day of results. You look up and down the board. Uh, only one three-set match on the day. It was Jan Leonard Struff earning a 7-6-6-7-6-2 victory over another fellow number uh, one player in the nation in college tennis, Dom Kopfer. Uh, you look in this match for Struff. Uh, he went, you know, his first serve, his serve plus one forehand, the biggest weapon in this match. He wins 79% of his first serve point saves. Four of the five break points chances he faced and just again Kofor did a great job of making this match physical he's clearly a comfortable mover on the surface you think you can hit a ball uh, as a winner to his forehand wing think again he's going to hit a ball while stretched that just ends up getting by you if he gets a clean look at a forehand but his backhand sat a little bit short in this match Struff was able to overwhelm it with power really key in on and you could tell Kofor was getting frustrated himself with his own backhand and you know again for Jan Leonard Struff it's been a tough stretch, and we did a huge podcast on him back at the end of 2019 because he does have that sort of firepower that when he gets hot, it looks really, really good. But, you know, 5-5 five and five since the start of, uh, since the tour restarted in August, and, you know, he's won two matches here, but he had lost his prior two. He, you know, made the quarterfinals of Cagliari, but, you know, lost back-to-back matches in Rome and Hamburg to Federico Coria and Karen Hatchinov, respectfully. Although, I guess you look at his last five losses, Corian Clay, Hatchinov, Eltmeyer on Clay, uh, Basilishvili on Clay, and then Grigor Dimitrov also on Clay. I mean... Yeah, it's oh, excuse me, five and five in his last fifty-two on hard court, seventeen and nineteen overall. I mean, yeah, 
hovering, you know, again, down to number 44 in the rankings off of his career high of number 29 that came when the tour restarted last August. You know, 17 and 19, it's going to keep you in the top 60, but you are going to fall. And so certainly for him to get to the quarterfinals here this week, that's big. You know, he's got the biggest weapons in his two matches he's played thus far against Kofor and Martin, but it's going to come up tomorrow against Philip Krajanovic, a guy who's got to serve a forehand that can certainly get Struff stretched. So will be interesting to see how he plays on his home soil. Again, that was your only three-set match. And I do want to say for Kofor, who I think is 19 and 18 in his last 52 weeks, he is playing the best tennis of his career, has established himself as a top 100 player, will be kicking himself because he probably should have won that first set, escaped with a 6-6 six and six upset victory, but, you know, again, sometimes the balls don't break your way. I don't think he's got too much to be disappointed about. He's playing good tennis, <laughs> excuse me, heading into this year's French Open. Your other results on the day, I mentioned Philip Krajinovic. He got a withdrawal victory from Yannick Hanifman, who unfortunately had to withdraw with injury. Norbert Gambos, 4-1 win over aforementioned Federico Correa, aforementioned Nicolas Basilashvili, a 6-4-6-2 win over Daniel Galan. And Basilashvili now, I believe, his fifth quarterfinal. It's fourth or fifth here in the 2021 season. I have no thoughts about him as a person on off the court. Obviously, he's dealt with some serious allegations, but you can't deny the power, right? I mean, when he hits the ball, it sounds like the FAA model where it's just a cannon firing off. It's just a, you know, an F1, you know, fighter jet taking off uh from the plane and it's just yeah, it's nuts. So credit to Baslishvili, 6-4-6-2 win over Daniel Galan. Those were your round of 16 matches here uh, on Thursday in terms of the matches you've got on Friday. Top seeds in action, number one seed Alex Virov taking on qualifier Ilya Vashka. Two seed Kasper Ruud taking on John Millman. Number four seed Kranovic taking on Struf. And then number five seed Baslishvili taking on lucky loser Norbert Gombo. So again, up and down the board. Zverev in action, Kasper Ruud in action, Christian Guerin in action. Just a lot of really, really good plays scheduled here for another championship on the ATP uh, weekend on the ATP Tour. Certainly has all of us, uh, I suppose, provides all of us something to get excited about. And last but certainly not least, let's talk about the ATP Challengers happening this week, of course, for the deep dives into all things Challenger Tour. Go check out this week's Great Shot Podcast episodes Monday. It was Damian Kust and Jakob Babaro Wednesday. It was myself and David Gertler breaking down all of the action. A quick update on where things stand in our three events in Ostrava. Quarterfinals are set. It's going to be Thomas Martin Echeverry joining the round after he knocks off number one seed 366463. And I have to say, there is a funky bunch of young Argentinians coming up the rankings right now. Thomas Martin Echeverry, uh, obviously the Surandolos, Sebastian Baez, Diego Tarante. Very, very fun group, very diverse style of play. Echeverry, I believe, six foot five is the 21 year old. Uh, you know, throws a lot of different looks that you can throw. Throw a lot of power at you. Play plus one tennis. Move you around the court. Comfortable on the clay as well. Uh, again, did a lot of dictating. And, you know, that match was physical as well. But just ended up uh, outworking, or I should po- suppose, outlasting Barrera uh, 6-3 in the third. You look for Echeverry now. 32-17 and 17 in his last 52 weeks. That includes runs to Challenger uh, final in Cebu. Challenger semifinal, uh, I believe, in Antalya. A Challenger quarterfinal in a couple of other places as well. You know, all things trending up for him. Again, number 232 in the rankings entering the week. You look for him now with another quarterfinal. He's up to number 229. He gets one more win. He's going to be number 222. He's going to tie his career high. And so certainly, again, he's starting to play some fun tennis. And just a little sneak peek for you listeners, Damien Kust going to be writing about the young Argentinians rising on the Challenger Tour next week on our website. So be on on the lookout for that. Uh, you know, his last article was about the young Czechs, and unfortunately, young Czech Yuri Laheka knocked off by Benjamin Bonzi, 6-3-6-4. Mark Pullman's a 6-3-6 love win over Dennis Istomin, Renzo Olivo, 6-2-6-3 over Alejandro Tabilo to advance to the quarterfinals, where 
now. It's going to be Pullman's taking on Bonzi Rinderneck, taking on Lucas Klein, Echeverry taking on Olivo, and then Elias Emer taking on qualifier Alex Mulcan. Shout out to my guys, and they are my guys, Evan King and Hunter Reese. Again, the other thing you could tweet out that would make my day, a shout out to King and Reese if they advance to the finals. Uh, they're going to engage with you on social media if you give them a shout out, but they make the semifinals here this week on the red clay. The number three seed's going to take on Paulson and Rickle uh, tomorrow in doubles. You've also got Kolar Rosal versus Pullmans and Stakowski. So a fun day in Osterva live stream dot com slash ATP will certainly be on in use on my laptop. But what else will I be watching there? Not just the action in Ostrava, the action in Rome as well. Nino Serdorusic qualify here qualifier here this week. He's played some good ball of late. He earns a four six six one six four win over Roberto Marcora, Fabio Caboli, a 6-2-6-2 win over Danilo Petrovic and Andrea Pellegrino, a 6-3-6-7-6-4 win over Andrea Colorini. That sets up tomorrow's quarterfinals, where it's going to be Giannessi versus Kokonakis, Serendolo versus Sepieri, Caboli versus Pellegrino, Serdarusic versus the winner of Ilko and Giustino, who have to play a morning round of 16 matches. Their match unable to get off yesterday in Rome, but that's the action there. And last but certainly not least, the action in Ecuador. They're a day behind, I believe, everyone, although they were a day behind, excuse me, so they had to play some catch-up today. All of the round of 16 matches being played in terms of your winners. Shout out to our guy, J.C. Aragoni, Virginia's finest, 6-2-6-2 victory for him. He advances to a much-needed challenger quarterfinal over Gonzalo Villanueva. Your other college tennis ties on the day, Emilio Gomez, the number one seed, seven six seven six, went over a fellow talented young Argentinian. Or I suppose I mean, when I say fellow, to Echeverry Gomez, of course, from Ecuador, but another talented young Argentinian in Camillo Carabelli. Uh, Carabelli? I, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I apologize, but I will work on that moving forward. Uh, in terms of again, Gomez, former Trojan. Good win for them. Uh, Kevin King, former Georgia Tech standout, 7-5 in the third win over number seven seed Adrian Menendez Macieres. Uh, your other winners on the day, Nicolas Yeri, a three-set win over Tim Van Re- uh, It's Wait, Wright Evans Eiffel. So Van Reitevin. Uh, so shout out to Nicolas Yeri, last week's winner. That was a quick match. A lot of big serves, a lot of big hitting. I actually really like Van Reitevin's game. I've talked about it before, but... Yari's looking good. He's going to get back to the top 100. It's not if, it's when. Uh, your other winners on the day, Nicolas Mea, Hiroki Maria, Diego Tarante, as mentioned. He gets a 6-3 uh, win when Pedro Sakamoto retires. And then Augustine Bellati, a win over former Florida State standout Aziz Dugas. By the way, Skander Mansuri, who was in this event, the former Wake Forest standout, a 3-6-6-3-6-2 loss, unfortunately, two special exemption, Nicolas Mea, uh, on the week. But... That sets up tomorrow's quarterfinals where it's going to be J.C. Aragoni against Diego Tarante, Kevin King against Velati, Nicolas Iari against Nicolas Maya, and Emilio Gomez against Hiroki Moria. So it should be a fun day of challenger action and certainly with the staggering of play across the globe, sunrise to sundown. If you're looking for good tennis, you can find it. Of course, Big Ten Conference Championships also happening this week. We've got a couple of other mid-major conference tournaments happening as well. So certainly all of your various levels of the professional tennis world, you've got college tennis covered. I know we here at Crack Rackets are super excited to be hosting a Level 1 USDA Junior National event here this weekend in Indianapolis. Boys 18 singles going to be the field for us. So be on the lookout for some of that content throughout the weekend as well. And again, we'll try our best to get you guys some podcasts. I know Jamie McDonald going to be filling in for me early next week as I will be focused on hosting the tournament here in Indy. But rest assured, any breaking news, anything big happens. Michigan beats Illinois. Illinois beats Michigan. Whatever happens in the Big Ten, I'll be back to talk about it. You can't keep me off the microphone, folks. I promise that. So rest assured, we'll have you covered this weekend. But if you've missed anything, catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, I will ask, as always, that you like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, our Cracked Interviews podcast, Great Shot podcast, and all of our shows here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff for the 
of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. But with that in mind, for Super Producers Fligner and Westoff, for our friends at Midwest Sports, and for all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.